Well, ladies and gents, as promised, I am here to give you guys the results for NXT's War Games. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? My name is Tiffany E, and I am one-fourth of your co-hosts from Down for the Count. And I'm here to give you guys a full results recap and just overall feelings of how NXT War Games went. Now, still, NXT War Games is my favorite pay-per-view of the year. I love War Games. I think it is so exciting. It's so much chaos going on. And usually the match card for War Games is pretty solid. Well, with NXT 2.0 being a new regime and trying to reset NXT and start from scratch, essentially, with a little bit of vets sprinkled in here and there, it was an okay pay-per-view. Was it the best war games I've ever watched? Mm, that's subject to opinion. But match-wise, it had its good moments. So let's start off with the first match, which was the women's war games. Of all of the women's war games that I have seen, which there's only been three of them, this match was definitely the weakest. And I say that not trying to be rude or disrespectful to the women. But I know that they can do better because I've seen them do better. Women's War Games match involved Toxic Attraction and Dakota Kai up against Io Shirai, Raquel Gonzalez, Kaylee Ray, and Cora Jade. Now, who was my standout in this match? Kaylee Ray ended up starting the match with Dakota Kai. They were your two beginner fighters, okay? For the most part, they did great, okay? It was fun to watch them. Kaylee Ray is always a fun thing to watch. And Dakota rises to the occasion normally when she's in that type of environment. I give Dakota a lot of flack because of her team kick bullshit. But for the most part, she did okay inside war games. She wasn't really a standout for me, but she didn't do a bad job. Um, as they entered more frequently with... Um, <clears throat> Kaylee Ray and them winning the advantage and coming into the match first. She ended up getting help from Cora Jade, who all in turn, and then they switched off and got Gigi. Then they went back and got Io Shirai. Then they went back and got JC. Then they went back and got Raquel. And then they went back and got Mandy Rose. So those were the order of how each member of each team entered into the match. The exciting parts of the match were very spotty. What I liked about NXT's women's war games match was they didn't force Io Shirai to be the one to do all of the high-flying crazy stuff. She had her moments where she jumped off the top rope, but it was Cora Jade who ultimately ended up doing a massive spot that looked great for her. This in turn led to a, an injury in the ring where it was assuming we were assuming her her shoulder was separated, and it looked like Io Shirai pulled it back into place. Now, they pretty much protected Jade in the inside the cage. They wouldn't let her out. And the way that it went down was they it was more centered around Cora Jade and her injury than anything else. But the strange part about it was that the other team did not capitalize on the injury as much as they could have or as much as they should have. They didn't really utilize the fact that she was kayfabe injured inside of a match where injuries most definitely is the worst thing that could happen to you 
You are a sitting duck amongst four vicious predators. You are the prey. So it doesn't matter to me if she was injured, if it was real or not. Like, kayfabe-wise, she should have been a target. And they didn't get to her in time. And when they finally did, it was whack. And it was just like, what are you doing? Like, you're acting like you don't know how to fight, bitch. Like, you can't go up to a girl and say... Oh, are you injured? Is it her? And then you just, all you do is drag her arm. And it's like, okay, what the fuck? So that part really irritated me. I'm sorry, but it really did. Because I felt like, damn, this war games could have been something, you know? <sighs> Moving on. Let's go into the, the leaders of each squad. So the leaders of each squad, Mandy Rose was the leader of hers. And Io Shirai was the leader of hers. Mandy Rose didn't do great. Um, and I expected that she wouldn't. What I find about Mandy is that she's very hit or miss. And I don't like the fact that Mandy's abilities are not resting on the power that she actually has. She's a strong woman. She's a beautiful woman. But Mandy is not moving up to her potential of where she could be. She is not showcasing what a champion should be. I hate to say this, but Mandy Rose being champion is a downgrade from Raquel Gonzalez being champion. I might have hated Raquel Gonzalez's title reign, but every match that bitch was in, she did her job. And that match was worth it. I could go back and watch the match with her and Ember. The matches with her, Tony Storm, and every like any any match that she has had under her title reign. Her match with Dakota. Her match with Io Shirai. Like any match that she has had when she acquired or regained the t- or kept the title or defended the title, she did great in those matches. She had good matches. Her tire feuds. The way that it was structured were not entertaining. But her actual matches were worth watching. Okay? She didn't really have many bad matches. So, what I'm saying is, despite her, you know, being boring as a character and her own personal views aside, she still was able to rise the occasion and give you something solid for any of the takeover pay-per-views that NXT provides. That is not the case with Mandy. Mandy did not do well in this match. She flopped horribly. She just looked like somebody who was just in the match. Like she she did not excel as well as Gigi Dolan did, which I knew that Gigi Dolan would pull through and give you the best. And the crowd is very much behind Gigi. If you haven't seen NXT War Games, I suggest you go and watch it because you will see that Gigi is a standout in that group. And more than likely, I would move forward with Gigi Dolan, not because of the crowd, but because of what she's capable of in the ring and how far advanced she is than her counterparts. She's a better wrestler than JC Jaden, and she is far superior in the ring than um, Mandy Rose. And I'm, and I'm a, a firm believer of putting your strongest foot forward. And if you're talking about ushering in the new um, era of NXT 2.0, then your ass needs to go with the best of the best of that class. And Cora Jade and Gigi Dolan are your two standouts. And of course, 
On the other side, you've got the longest reigning women's champion in WWE history with Kaylee Ray. She's always going to be a standout. Io Shirai, great. Beautiful spots in the match. Did the best she could to protect Cora Jade and make it worthwhile. Raquel Gonzalez came in there as a powerhouse, as she should have all brawn, all power, and took out everybody as much as she could and still protected um, Cora Jade. And as I said before, Cora Jade was a beautiful spot. She was a beautiful set piece in the sea of this chess game. She worked very, very well, and ultimately, Cora J was the one who got the pin on JC. I originally thought she got the pin on Mandy, but she didn't, and I was like, damn, how did I fuck that up? And I know how. When I saw the match, I saw Lacey get powerbombed by Raquel in the middle of the ring, and then somebody kicked Raquel. I can't think of who did it. It was Gigi. Gigi and Raquel both kicked each other, and they both ended up laying out. Cora Jade um, saw that, I can't remember what happened, but Mandy was in the corner with um, Io Shirai, and Cora Jade saw that JC was laid out. She wasn't moving. At least that's how I'm seeing it. I'm probably missing something in between, but JC got pinned. And when Mandy tried to stop the match, EO held her down. And the camera, instead of the camera zooming in on Cora Jade, it zoomed in on Mandy. So what it did was it had the girl, it had JC rolled up and she and Cora Jade laid on top of her and got the pin. And then right after the one, two, three, boom, cut to Mandy. That's how it did it. So it made it look like Mandy popped up after getting pinned. And I'm like, damn, then Mandy took a pin. I'm like, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it just looked like Mandy took that pin because of the way the camera angles worked. But ultimately, Team Toxic Attraction lost. And Raquel and the girls won. So, even though my theory was whoever gets the advantage when loses, um, they flipped it this year. <laughs> because Kaylee Ray's team had the advantage and they won. Now, with all that being said, let's move on to some non-War Games matches before we get to the amazing men's match. Starting off with the men's tag team match. The tag team match for War Games was Imperium versus Von Wagner and Kyle O'Reilly. And while I'm not a big fan of Von Wagner and Kyle O'Reilly's weird mismatch couple matchup, they did okay in this match against Imperium. The problem is when you have a new tag team, chemistry has to be solid in order to go up against a team like Imperium. They are damn near perfect in every aspect of their game. And if you cannot exploit in a, a whole, a minor mess up, a minor, like a little bit of a tweak that happened between them or a bit of miscommunication between them, they are going to bowl over you in every aspect and every way. And really, they didn't like dominate the match. But they were able to exploit the weaknesses between Wagner and O'Reilly. And that is the fact that they are not a weld oil machine like they are. And ultimately, despite how hard Wagner and O'Reilly fought, they lost. And they are not the new tag team champions. Imperium retained. And that's where it is. 
So now you have this match of these two singles competitors, essentially, who tried to come together to compete against Imperium, and they lost. And Wagner was not even a part of the loss. It was O'Reilly who was a part of the loss. Wagner was pretty much isolated and taken out before they pinned O'Reilly. Now, Wagner being in the ring and, you know, everybody's cheering is pretty much O'Reilly and Wagner left over. He tried to attack Kyle O'Reilly, who was able to thwart the attack. And now you have probably a feud between O'Reilly and Wagner coming up very soon. With all that being said, um, this match in itself was a pretty decent match. It was a nice palate cleanser match to watch. And it, it really reset War Games because... The women's war games left a bad taste in my mouth. I'm not going to lie. That match was pretty decent. So we're going to move on to the hair versus hair match. Now, like I said, if you didn't know the story between the hair versus hair match, it was very simple. Duke Hudson felt like he should have been smarter than Cameron Grimes. And Cameron Grimes shouldn't have been able to best a seasoned poker player like him. And because he did, he decided to embarrass him and disrespect him by cutting his hair and, of course, his beard. Now, I ain't going to lie. Like I said earlier, Cameron Grimes looks great with his hair trimmed. I think he is a very attractive man. Sometimes a lot of hair and a lot of beard can be very distracting from decent features. And Cameron has very nice eyes. He's got, and when he's shaped up and his hair is cut right, he looks like a decent man, okay? So I'm okay with the lineup and the cut. I just wish Cameron would have wanted the lineup and the cut. But either way, he looked good. Duke Hudson, on the other hand, is a mediocre wrestler at best. Um, he's no way Barrett, I can tell you that. And I understand the similarities between the two men, but he lacks the wrestling skill and prowess that Wade Barrett has. And I think that is a big part of the problem I have with Duke Hudson. While his arrogance and pompous attitude is a good way for him to have amazing heel heat, he does not exhibit everything that he should in the ring. Does he have power? Sure. Does he have some wrestling prowess and skill? Absolutely. I won't take everything from him, but he lacks the the fun in the ring that Wade Barrett had. He lacks that 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 viciousness. But while you see it on occasion, there's flashes of it. His is just he's just there's something about Duke Hudson that isn't right. I don't know how to explain it, but when I watch him wrestle, I am not entertained. And I know that Cameron was there with him. He was trying to pull it out of him, but honestly, he's just not it. He's just not it. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care how good you look. I don't care. If you can't perform in the ring, if you're missing one half and don't have the other, then your yin and yang is all for me. And I don't like it. But there's something about Duke I can't put my hands on, but something is off. Something isn't right. Ring chemistry is wrong. He's in the ring with someone and it doesn't fit. It's something isn't right. Something isn't right. We're going to move on. That match was was okay for what it was. Cameron um, shined very nicely in that match, like he always does. And he ultimately ended up winning on a roll-up. So this was the second roll-up of the night. He ended up winning on a roll-up. And Duke Hudson 
had to get his head shaved. Of course, Duke was dead set against it and tried to run, but Cameron was able to capture his prey and give him the embarrassing shave in which he would also have to probably go and get a good haircut to even it out. He doesn't look bad with his head shaved a little bit more. He actually looked pretty decent. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out, hun. Anyways, so let's dive into the final singles match of the night, which was the Cruiserweight Championship. This one, by far, of the three singles matches, I didn't like this one. It really had nothing to do with Gacy and Roderick Strong's performance. It's just I don't like Roderick Strong enough to watch his matches. I felt like he put on a solid performance um, match-wise. But, I mean, ultimately, Gacy lost, which wasn't ideal for me because it would have been fun to see what Joe Gacy would have been able to do with that Cruiserweight Championship. Despite him being outside of the weight class, the way he wanted to gain it and wield it was interesting. And I wanted to see what he was going to do or how he was going to continue to go forward with this whole all-inclusive title situation. I wanted to see how that was going to work out. So anyway, all in all, Diamond Mine um, you know, was there. They didn't really interfere as much, but Roderick Strong was able to retain the Cruiserweight Championship, so... Yay for Roderick. Anyway, moving forward to the final bout. It was the men's war games match. And it was as follows. It was Team 2.0 versus Team Black and Gold. The vets versus the rookies. The old versus the new guard. Well, the match kicked off with Carmelo Hayes and Johnny Gargano. They were your guys from the beginning that started off this match. And as just did with the, the women's match, there was a back and forth of who could come in and who could come out. I mean, who could come in during both sides. But there was a, uh, I guess you could say a sixth or rather a fifth man in this match for both sides. And I'll get to that in a minute. So the way that this started off, like I said, it was Hayes and Gargano. And then you had D'Angelo come in. And then for the men on Champa's side, you had, um, oh God, it wasn't LA Knight. Actually, it was Grayson Waller who came in first for um, Team 2.0. And then you had um, Pete Dunn come in, I believe. Um, for the other team was Tony D'Angelo, then it was LA Knight. Then it was Braun Breaker, and then it was Tommaso Ciampa. Now, here is the cool thing about this. This whole match was great from beginning to end. Everybody had a, par a time to shine. Everyone. Everyone had a time to shine. From Pete Dunne trying to snap Grayson Waller's fingers and bending them backwards through the gate, no less, from Grayson Waller taking a high-flying spot off the top of the cage. Um, I believe it was on to L.A. Knight, or I think it was Knight that he um, hit, um, to 
LA Knight just taking Braun Breaker out and really going at it. Like, LA Knight really did very, very well in this match. And his hype beast aspect before this match started was really something to see and hear. He was doing his best to keep everybody up. And that man was ready. He was prepared. And I'm Nicole was a little hesitant, but shout out to Nicole one of the um, co-hosts of the show, she was a little hesitant about L.A. Knight being in there because I don't think he's ever been seen in this type of element. But he shined in this element. He worked He worked this match for himself and for the team, and he worked as a team player. He did an exceptional job in this match. I was very proud to watch L.A. Knight go at it in war games. As always, Tommaso Ciampa shined in this match. Once he got in, it was his night. He was ready to roll. From having his moment to do his clap and pat on the back, taking people out with trash cans, Tommaso was a centerpiece, a focal point of this match, as was Johnny Wrestling. Johnny Gargano had never been inside NXT War Games, so he obviously didn't know what to expect. But he was ready and prepared to go to war, and he damn sure did. From the knees to the DIY kicks to everything he could think of to take people out to that ugly DDT that he gives people off the side of the ropes. Johnny Gargano, may I may give Johnny Gargano a lot of shit, but that man is what he calls himself to be, which is Johnny Wrestling. And now he has been a part of just about every single takeover and pay-per-view you can think of. He has had a match on every single one of them, with the exception of maybe one. But Gargano has been a part of every aspect of NXT, including War Games. He did exceptional, and I have to congratulate him because Johnny Gargano may be leaving. He may not be coming back. So good luck to Johnny Gargano and whatever he decides, and we're going to move forward. As I said, Pete Dunne was very dangerous in this match. He's a limb attacker. Pete Dunne is a dangerous individual, period. And anytime you sleep on Pete, you are putting yourself at a disadvantage. Pete Dunne took Grayson Waller out piece by piece, snapping fingers, bending hands, stepping on them. He was destroying Waller. Waller was not an integral part of this match until he had that spot. Other than that, he did nothing for me. It was a massive, massive weak link. Moving into Carmelo Hayes, another young buck inside of War Games. He did great, though. He also was one of the reasons why NXT 2.0 won their match. While Gargano and Champa had Breaker taken out and was ready to go, Carmelo couldn't get up to stop the count. So he pulled the ref, which technically in war games is very fair. This also led to Gargano sacrificing himself with Tommaso hitting a running knee on Carmelo. But this left Tommaso to a be open and subject to being taken out by Braun Breaker. He pretty much went through a table. Easy. By Braun Breaker spearing him through it. And he destroyed that table. It was bad. Tony D'Angelo had a spot with Pete Dunne where he used a crowbar to um, take him out on the top rope. I'm not sure of what the move is called, so please forgive me. But it was pretty nasty. Um, 
Carmelo Hayes has a partner named Trick. Trick was an integral part of this match as well, tossing in instruments of battle and, of course, attempting to enter into the match and wreak more havoc by making it a five-on-four match. But as Trick continued to interfere, there was also a fifth man for Tommaso Ciampa's team as well. Dexter Loomis appeared from underneath the ring and took out Trick, scared him half to death, and ran him off. So finally, the tables were even, and there was nothing that anyone could do. And of course, he got his approval from Johnny Gargano, and that's how the match went down, ladies and gentlemen. And towards the end, Tommaso Ciampa got pinned by Braun Breaker, and that was it. Team Black and Gold lost to NXT 2.0. Carmelo Hayes, Braun Breaker, Tony D'Angelo, and Grayson Waller all stood tall after winning this War Games battle. So now what does it mean? Well, according to the world of NXT and everyone inside, the regime has changed and black and gold has finally been laid to rest. And it is time for a new set. So what do we do now? Well, we move on and we walk on. The next pay-per-view setup is New Year's Evil. And it'll happen on January 4th, per I believe. If that is not true, I will correct in post with editing. But I believe that in New Year's Evil is January 4th, which is after day one. I hope you guys enjoyed this rundown of NXT's War Games. If I had to give you an overall grade of War Games, I'd say it was like a high C plus, low B minus in that realm. Because the filler matches weren't as good as they could have been. It just didn't, it didn't hit the way War Games usually does. But I won't say it was bad because it wasn't. The match quality was pretty solid. It was just some of the stories were falling a little flat. And there wasn't really much to War Games except for the actual War Games. I expected more from the women and I didn't get that. So I was a bit disappointed. And the tone for the show was set really, really low and left the bad taste in my mouth. So as the show progressed and we got to see better matches and better feuds, it made things a little bit easier to watch and, and enjoy. So I will say this. I think War Games could have been better, but I think that given the current climate of everyone getting fired and doing all this crazy shit in, in, in WWE, I think they did the best they could with what they had. And, of course, this was Beth Phoenix's last show that she was going to cover. She has decided to go home and be with her daughters and be a part of her family. A lot of people are also suspecting that she more than likely will be an integral part in Edge's storyline with The Miz due to the fact that The Miz has his wife, Maurice. Now, I'm pretty sure she may pop up. But I don't think that was the sole reason why Beth Phoenix decided to step away from the announcer's desk. Beth Phoenix has very young girls. And as they get older, they need their mom around. And I'm sure she doesn't want to miss a lot of their growing stages going into their preteen years and possible teen years. She doesn't want to miss that. And I don't blame her. For the most part of their lives and for all of their lives, she has pretty much been around and been there. Now, her coming back to WWE to wrestle a few times and to also do commentary for NXT 
it's got to be hard on her because she now has to live in Florida, essentially, or fly back and forth between Florida and their United States home. Um, and that's got to be rough. That's got to be difficult. The flying, the the constant, you know, video chats and not being able to be home, not to mention we're still in the middle of a pandemic. COVID is still running rampant. And now there's a new variant out. So I think her wanting to be home with her daughters and being able to see them on a regular basis, protect them and everything is, it's only fair. She's made enough sacrifices for this company. So good luck to Beth Phoenix. And even though this isn't goodbye, I am very happy for you. And I'm proud of you for being the first lady on the commentary for NXT. You got to love that. So I hope you come back if you can, whenever you want. I hope you come back. With all that being said, War Games is over. It is in the books. And well, that is the final pay-per-view for NXT for this year. So I hope you guys enjoyed this review of NXT's War Games. And I will see you guys next year with our new episodes of Down for the Count, which we will probably be doing a full review of Day One and New Year's Evil. So I will see you guys next time. Follow us on our Instagram at D4TC underscore podcast, or you can always follow us on Twitter where we do all our postings at Down for the Count 19. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.